my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton, him over there. That's my work wife. That's James Hardigan. Happy birthday, Joe. I know it was a worn-out gag, but it was born of an occasion when I forgot your birthday. This year, I have not forgotten your birthday, and it's a big one as Uncle Daddy turns the big 5-0. That is correct. I love the even birthdays. Uh, coming up on today's show, we're following up the Paul Schrader of the movie world with the Paul Schrader of the poker world. Uh, a bit of a bit of a legend, a bit of a grumpy grandpa, but also a bit of a legend. Again, Norman Chad is on the show this week. As the World Series of Poker gets underway in Vegas, I have never had a conversation with Norman longer than 45 seconds, so I'm pretty excited about this. Well, I have never had any conversation or any meeting or any real meaningful interaction with Norman, so I'm actually very excited. You know that cliche about don't meet your heroes? I really hope that's not true on this occasion. Uh, it may or may not be true. It depends how you can handle grumpy old man Norman Chad. I think you can <laughs> deal with it fine. I think we're going to be okay. Uh Speaking of old, we're taking a trip down memory lane and telling some behind-the-scenes stories from EPT Barcelona from 2013. That is courtesy of the Discord. Also, coming from our Discord suggestions, we are going to make a ruling. Joe from the Unitedist of Kingdoms has asked for our help. Justice will be served. Was it me from the UK or a different Joe? I hate to break this to you because I appreciate it's not going to really appeal to your ego, but you are not the only person <laughs> in the poker world whose name is Joe. Okay, fine. Uh, Leo O'Rourke, he's a real person. He's a real human being. He's a super fan. He is here, and we will be talking, a.k.a. quizzing each other on Ted Lasso Season 1 on Superfan versus Stapes. I would have really liked to rewatch... Ted Lasso, just for myself. What did you think of Ted Lasso? Are you Ted Lasso guy? We've spoken about it before. Right. It's one of those shows which I liked in spite of myself. I know it's not very good. I know it's pretty <laughs> hacky, but you can't help but like it. Um, we are not, and again, I'm repeating myself from the live stream, from the Sunday Million stream from Monday. We're not going to discuss the new Bond film. I'm saying nothing. It's not even out in the US yet. I'm going to give it a couple of weeks. Then we'll talk. I have posted some hidden thoughts on the Poker in the Ears Discord server. And if you have seen the film and are interested in what I thought, you can click on that and it will reveal. But there are spoilers in there, so warning. I think I might get a chance to see it tomorrow night if I do. Can we talk about it next week? Um, maybe. There's a lot going on next week. In fact, we need to talk about next week's show right now. We need to talk about next week's Superfan slot okay. because we are going to do a Poker Movie Monday on a Wednesday and we're going to do the film Money Plane and we've been threatening <laughs> slash promising to cover <laughs> this film for some time. Uh, I was made aware of it by an honest trailer pitch meeting hybrid video that got posted on YouTube about six months ago. It looks terrible. It might be even worse than Danny's game, but... It is only 80 minutes long. That's right. It breaks the 90-minute rule. That rule being, if a film is less than 90 minutes, it's probably shit. Um, it is available for free on Amazon Prime, at least in the UK. So I think it's pretty easy to get hold of. You know the deal, people. If we set the superfan subject, I'm willing to double the prizes. So 2x Sunday Million tickets up for grabs if you're willing to volunteer to watch this film and be the superfan on next week's podcast, you can apply on Twitter using the hashtag PITE, but ideally 
get on the Discord and use the dedicated channel for Superfan applications. And did I see that uh, Kyle Gordon Stanley wins the special no prize for Discord this week? Yes, check out Kyle's post in the poker uh, in the year's discussion thread. It is the prize for Discord post of the week. And just to be clear, there is no physical prize. But yeah, check out the link in the podcast description. Join the PokerStars Discord server, not just for us, but for everything else going on around Twitch, around the PokerStars school. But yes, we do have four dedicated channels on that server. And Joe and I are happy to chat anytime. Caveat being, not all the time. Right, exactly. Anytime, any of the two or three times a week I check in there, I'm happy to chat. Uh, Let's talk a little bit, if you don't mind, James. I did a movie marathon Saturday. Uh, A friend came over who we hadn't seen since pre-pandemic. And uh, we used to watch movies together. And her whole thing is she's a big Terminator fan. She likes the Terminator series. So previously we had done Terminator, which I think is far and away the best movie of the entire series. Oh, absolutely. Um, I prefer it to Terminator 2. She's a Terminator 2 person. Um, We decided to pick things up with Terminator 3. Okay. All of this is for the benefit of my girlfriend, by the way, who's seen none of them. And... I was like, Terminator 3, it's like kind of forgettable, but it's a little bit enjoyable. I didn't she liked hate Terminator it. 3 at all, but sorry, Joe, your your girlfriend has not seen any Terminator films, so you start her off with number 3? No, no, no. She had not seen any of them when we started watching the Terminator oh, films, sorry. like right, two right. years ago, but okay. pre-pandemic. Okay. Um, I think we did term- the first Terminator pre-pandemic. Terminator 2, we tried during the pandemic, like with masks on and socially distanced, and it was just too weird. Uh, to con- We just kind of did that one and done. Um, and now we, uh, Terminator 3 is where we picked up and I was pleasantly surprised that she was pleasantly surprised and really liked Terminator 3, um, which I think is enjoyable, but just kind of like a nothing entry, right? Like, yeah, nothing really happens in it. Uh, sadly. Uh, so we went from Terminator 3. We ended up now, my friend who came over hadn't seen Nobody yet, and I cannot recommend this movie highly enough if you guys haven't seen it. I already talked about it once on the podcast. Super fun movie. But then we watched the new Candyman, and I know you're not a horror guy. No. But once again, I think producer Jordan Peele does a very good job of weaving um, some folklore into some current social sort of commentary and thought it was a really excellent, fun horror movie entry. It's just a really depressing situation when they're rebooting slash remaking films, which you were an adult when the original came out, right? These Uh, aren't even movies now from my youth. (laughs) No, I mean, it was my youth technically, but uh, (laughs) because I remember not being allowed to see the first Candyman, Uh, but it was, it was cool and, and not, not I, I know you're probably not going to watch it either way, but not super scary or super violent. Just, uh, it's just a decent horror entry. We tried after all of that to watch something called The Squid Game. Oh, this is the Netflix series that everyone is talking about. And I'll get around to it at some point, but I just kind of feel I need the hype to die down a little bit. The more people who tell me that I have to watch Squid Game, the less I want to watch it. I'm not going to tell you after watch Squid Game because I thought we were after three movies that we were going to watch something like The Floor Is Lava. Like I thought Squid Game was some <laughs> no, kind of Joe, wacky. Not that. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought I was like 
some kind of wacky Asian game show. I was like, oh, this sounds cool. Like, let's watch Squid Game. Like, let's let's watch some crazy Far East game show. Those are fun. And I'm like, wait, this is a reedy. Like, this is scripted. This is some kind of weird scripted thing. So we killed that immediately. Um, and did end up watching a couple episodes, despite the fact that I, I was against a couple episodes of Love on the Spectrum, which uh, the girls were, were very into for a couple episodes. I, though, James, this week, I streamed. I streamed. I went on, on Twitch. Cool. And I streamed like the last hour and a half or two hours of Resident Evil Village. You've heard me talk about that a bunch. Okay, you need to keep this going. We yeah. need to build your Twitch channel. We need to build up a regular audience, and then we will set a day and a time when we can do our infamous, much-touted, but we never follow through on it, PUBG stream. Um, I know you have your doubts about this, but in all seriousness, like Fortnite came and went. PUBG has stayed the course. I'm not saying it's as popular as it was back in 2017, yeah. but it still has a solid following. It still has a solid player base, and I do think a PUBG squad stream would be a fun thing to do. It will be a fun thing, regardless of whether or not it's my favorite of those games. Um, do we want to set a time for this now, or we, we oh, want to... God, no. Have you any idea how hard it is for me to organize my personal schedule around my work okay. schedule, around a potential streaming schedule, plus coordinate two people who aren't even appearing on this podcast right now? It is. It is very difficult. Okay, okay. no problem. We'll, we'll, we'll figure that out at a I'll later make date. A note. I'll make a okay. note. Okay. Um, as soon as we wrapped last week's record, by the way, it all kicked off. And this happens every single week, regardless of whether we record on a Wednesday or a Thursday. As soon as the podcast is done, recorded, edited, mixed, signed off, stuff happens. So last week, at the, la- at the latter end of last week, the new PokerStars rewards launched. Ooh. PokerStars sadly had to cease operations in the Netherlands which has a huge impact on Lex. I'm sure you've seen his tweets, although his most recent missive implies that he's close to finding a solution. And I think there's a strong chance that Lex is going to be joining us on our Sunday Million stream on Monday. So that'll be cool. And the other big announcement, more positive, is that EPT Prague 2021 was announced. So this is going to be taking place from the 8th to the 19th of December. And as I'm sure you can expect, it is operating under COVID protocols. There are going to be face masks. There are going to be temperature scans. You are going to require proof of vaccination status or put a negative test result forward. And it's going to have all the things you would expect, like sanitization stations, enhanced cleaning. So it is a return of the EPT. Maybe not the EPT as we remember it, but adjusting to what everyone calls the new normal. Yeah, look, we're gonna. It's good to have something, I think, and uh, to have that thing. You know, if we can manage to run an event safely with all those protocols, and hopefully by next year we can go back to a a different type of new normal. But that's exciting, and I'm sure lots of people are gonna be very happy to be able to go play poker in Prague. I guess if it's um, you know, if there's like enhanced cleaning, then. I probably won't be allowed in the building. I think they have a hose filled with antiseptic just (laughs) for you. Talking of live poker, of course, we can't ignore the fact that the World Series of Poker has kicked off and seems to be going pretty well. There's been at least one recorded Helmuthian rant, which was captured on video. That, to me, always signifies that the series has officially started. It's not the WSOP until Helmuth's kicked off at someone. Not only did I notice that I didn't didn't see the kickoff video, but I did see that Phil's already like done a bunch of posing and um, sort of like a photo shoot for his 16th bracelet, which hasn't even happened yet. I feel like that's 
wow. a little weak. Like that's Hubris. not my favorite, right? <laughs> it's just like, here's what would happen if I got number 16. It's like, dude, you're pretty good at poker. Like you're pretty good at winning bracelets. Like just wait, just wait till you get the 16th bracelet. It seems a little preemptive. Um, I also like that a relative unknown uh, won the 35K. Is it 35K or 25K horse? It was the 25K horse. I feel, when was it? When was it? Thirty-five k. Is that a Mandela effect thing? Did it used to be thirty-five k? There was a fifty k horse, which was the players' championship at one point. But it's mm. generally speaking a twenty-five k buy. Thirty-five is a weird number. Um, also, <laughs> huge field for the so-called reunion event. But look to mark the comeback of the World Series. We thought it would be a good idea to speak to a series stalwart. Hell yeah. Someone who's been associated with the WSOP for nearly two decades. Someone who plays bracelet events, commentates on bracelet events together with Lon McCarran. He fronts the World Series live streams and TV shows. He is, in my mind, one of the voices of poker. And he is $25,000 worse <laughs> off after playing that horse event last week. Please welcome to the show, Norman Chad. Yeah, I'm pleased to be here, I think. <laughs> It is genuinely a pleasure to meet you, Norman. We've only ever had one very brief interaction on Twitter when you saw Shark Cage for the first time and you said you were a fan. Um, I never got a chance to meet you or talk to you in Vegas. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Well, there's three of us on the show today, so that kind of diminishes the pleasure. Uh, well, Norman, see, this is thank you for doing the show, Norman. Every, Norm's like everybody's. Uh, I don't know how long you've been this old, Norman. I don't mean that in like a literal sense. I just mean it that as long as I've known you, you've been a grumpy grandpa. And I don't know if that is something that uh, that you like. Were you ever young? Yeah. OK, thank you for that. No, there's actually photos of me when I'm seven or eight years old reading the New York Times on the floor <laughs> instead of reading the cartoon section of my local paper. And I've been called a curmudgeon since I was a senior in college. Okay. Nice. So that is accurate. Good. I don't feel so bad about that. Let's uh let's let's talk about the twenty five K horse for a second. Uh is this do you just have twenty five thousand dollars you can just plunk down and play horse? How does this work for you? No, I do not have twenty five thousand dollars I can plunk down and play horse. I would never play a twenty five K. I found I found a gimmick. I found a a, a, a a loophole in the system where I could have other people, 139 people, pay nice. up pay for me. Plus, I, I made it into a charity thing where I did a 1.5 markup, which somehow angered people. Of course, there's always markup shame up markup shame in in the poker world, as you know. The 0.5 was all for Hope for Depression Research Foundation. Uh, which helps with the prevention and treatment of depression, which I suffer from, as do many, many other millions in America. So, yeah, we raised $12,500 from the markup. The $25,000 was virtually paid for by everybody else. I kept $700 for myself. Actually, I include the markup, so I kept $500 of the uh, $25,000 I put in, and everybody else stupidly <laughs> put in the $25,000, and I just sat there and I, I, I drank wine all day. <laughs> oh, and just to complete the story, Norm, what was the return on their investment? 
you know, I don't see why we need to complete the story. Uh, <laughs> we just completed the story. I expect that from Joe, not you, James. So, yes, they, they as I explained to everybody beforehand, statistically, their chances for a re- return, technically, statistically, were 15%. Realistically, since I'm playing against really the best players in the world who play horse, their chance was, and I'm being honest here, and, and, and I'm not overestimating my abilities, was more like 3.8% mm. I would cash in the thing. I did make day two which is, you know, reasonably good. Uh, but they, it doesn't mean anything when you make day two. It just means you got to wake up again. And then I was out 38th in a field of 78. Uh, Norm, I don't know how often you've told this story. I know that I, when I go on podcasts, I get asked about my origin story a lot. How did you get to be where you are? If you've told the story a million times and you're sick of telling it, fine. But, like, I genuinely am curious about, you know, first of all, because – Norm, you are the guy, right? You are the the the, the poker commentator that we all, the, the first one that most of us heard, right? James may be a little bit different because he grew up in the UK, but for Americans, you're the first poker voice that most of us heard. And I am very curious as a guy, like for me, the path was a little easier because you had blazed the trail already. And I'm very curious what that was like and how that came to be. Well, one, yes, I have told the story innumerable times. I'm so tired <laughs> of telling the story that I actually have taught Blue, uh, my dog. I, <laughs> I now have Blue tell the story, which is pretty cool. Blue, okay, it's, it is early here, so she might not wake up. Uh, maybe you as, can do it. As maybe you're blazing the tail, gentlemen, uh, I, I blazing the trail. I really didn't blaze a trail. Just a piano fell from the sky, and instead of hitting me, it landed to the side of me, and lo and behold, I can play a piano with two fingers. I can do the <laughs> so that's pretty much how it happened. I had I had virtually I had no no limit poker background. I was just a rec player who go, went into a casino and played seven card stud eight or better a couple times a week, and I had virtually no broadcasting background. And as is the case often in America, when you unqualify to do something, you are promoted. So. <laughs> What occurred is that at the time that ESPN decided for the first time it was going to step up its its poker coverage and do uh, several uh, episodes of the main event, they hired a production company that they were contracting, 441 Productions, uh, which had virtually no poker background. The guy who hired me at ESPN to do some part-time work, I was like on sports writer debate shows and shouting at each other. Knew I played poker, but he thought I was a serious poker player. So he asked me to consult with them to help them put together their poker broadcast, which I did, even though, again, I had no background in no limit hold'em. And, you know, did you tell them you had no background or were you like faking it till you making it kind of thing? I, I was I did try to fake it, but I, I was being paid a consultant fee for them to do almost anything they asked. You know, like if Chris Berman wanted to throw up into his own mouth, uh, I came by and provided him with a barf bag in case he missed his own mouth. Got it. So uh, I, I said, sure, I'll help. But, you know, so I, I, you know, I did some research to help them in ways I didn't know how to do research, didn't know stuff about. Uh, so I did that for several months and that out of nowhere, they called me up and said, would you be interested in being a uh, poker TV commentator? Have you ever thought about that? And I, I actually thought it was a joke or not a joke, but I thought they're kidding. Cause as I, I said to the guy, uh, you know, sure. It's every, you know, it's every 
boy's dream from the time they're six or seven year old to be a poker TV commentator. What the <laughs> hell are you talking about? It doesn't even exist. No, I haven't thought about it. They said, well, we're not, we're not going to hire a, you know, the, the whole thing of hiring an ex jock or hiring a, an athlete to do it. We're not going to hire Phil Helmuth and that type of thing for several reasons. And you've made us laugh on conference calls and emails and stuff. And so, you know, we think you should do it. I said, let me get back to you by the end of the week. It didn't seem like a big deal to me, but I, I didn't know if I was going to do it. And I talked to my best friend, uh, I was living in Los Angeles. My best friend lives in Maryland. And I asked, talked about it later in the week. He says, why wouldn't you do it? I said, well, I, I might enjoy doing it, but it's poker on TV. What the heck is that? He said, but you're forgetting one thing. I said, what's that? He says, you have no career right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, okay, Vinny, that's a, that's a reasonable point. I'll, I'll take the job. And I thought it was a one-off, uh, as anybody else would have. I thought it might be it might be okay if it was done well, but who's going to watch poker on TV? And the next thing you know, I have to sit here and talk to you two. So this was 2003, because I think I'm right in saying that 2002, which was otherwise known as the Varconi year, that was Lon's debut, I think, as a World Series commentator. And then the two of you worked together for the first time in 03. And, I mean, I, I'm jealous in a way that you've had that partnership now for – nearly 20 years. I mean, you basically became the voices of T and faces of TV poker in America. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, you all, which is amazing. You all have logged, I believe more time together in the booth. Uh, I assume we're in the virtual booth. Sometimes you're not together uh, than we have, because you all do so much more, but yes, uh, you make the correct point that the year before I did it. And when ESPN did it standard one or two hours on the final table, yeah. Lon worked with Gabe Kaplan. That's right. And, and we, you know, we talk about the money meter effect and then there's actually a minor Varconi effect. We were lucky that there wasn't a Lon effect. He almost killed off. Both <laughs> <laughs> they, they were so bad and actually Lon was fine. Uh, Gabe, and I, th here's another funny thing that I, I wish I had the memo, but this was like an, uh, four laptops ago and I, I wasn't printing out ESPN and that consulting thing. They sent me three tapes, three shows they had done. One of them was the previous world series. One of them was like the Jack Binion open, which they did like 10 years earlier. And one was a third th and they wanted to do notes on these things. And so I did notes on what I liked and what I didn't like. And most of all, I, I was like watching paint dry because you didn't know the cards and whatever. But I wrote that on the world series a year before that they had a world-class entertainer, which they did Gabe Kaplan who knew poker left and right. And he was mailing it in. I said, this is, I, by the way, I did not comment on Lon. I don't remember commenting on Lon at all, who I did not know. But I said, you you have the right analyst, but the guy's doing nothing. So you got to make it more entertaining. And, you know, he's just sitting there, you know, just cashing a paycheck. And I did write that about Gabe the year before, who ends up doing high stakes poker after me. And I do believe it. And Joe will give me credit for blazing the trail somehow and just doing it the way we do it. Gabe all of a sudden went from go watch the 2002 and they bring him out. They bring over like the, the person because he was there live just to do like, for instance, and they and Lon was not there live, by the way. This was the, the birth of post-production and Lon yeah. came afterwards and 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 whatever. But Gabe would sit there and as the guys busted out, they come over to a, a sit down area and Gabe would go. Uh, so you finished eighth. Thirty seven thousand uh, dollars. Pretty nice payday for a day, huh? And the guy would answer that. Oh, you finished sixth, $52,000. <laughs> Not a bad day's pay. Huh? I mean, and then the commentary was just, Gabe was doing nothing. So somehow in ice takes poker, someone pinched him or woke him up. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden he was doing it closer yeah. to the way he should do it. Yeah. Um, do you think that it came from you being on the scene? There's, that's, I, I get it. I don't give myself credit for much. 
Yeah. Uh, like I can't get you to shave. I would give myself credit if I could get you to shave <laughs> and look like an adult at this point. Nope. You're, you're a standard comedian like Gabe. You can front a show if you have to. But yes, he had to look at something. And I've always said Gabe, I've never met Gabe, actually. And that's another story that oh. Gabe somehow owes me part of his paycheck for high stakes poker because someone woke him up and I thought I did and said, all right, let's let's do this a different way. I could have. I honestly would have thought that you and Gabe, like in my mind, are like old pals, the funny old school comedian poker commentators who like basically invented the genre of being funny. And you guys have never met. No, in fact, he made, when we did bracelet events in oh four oh five oh six, right in there where it's just hard to believe right now. We did, you know, we also besides the main event, we did the final tables of Raz. I we remember did the final well. tables of Deuce to Seven. I think that went direct to video. No, uh, I've, I've said it before, Norman. I'll say it again. My favorite era of televised poker are those World Series shows from like oh three through to around oh six. Those boom years. Just the coverage was phenomenal. Yeah, it was. And, and I mean, the, the production was great and we had different games and we actually we had great characters. So Gabe made a final table of one of our production, uh, one of our bracelet events, a no limit hold'em table. Two things he did, which to this day remain unforgivable to me. The day of the morning of that event, we always would bring in each of the players for about a 20 minute sit down to record an interview for feature purposes when we when we did it in the, in the one or two hour version later. Uh, that's nine players coming in. In the history of when we did that, we did like 100, 120 players, maybe a little more. Like only two players never showed up for their interview. Gabe didn't show up for his interview. That was that was unforgivable sin number one. Unforgivable sin number two is that he's on the table. He knows how the game works. And I mean the game, not the game. Okay. He makes he's runner up in that event. So he's 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 on the six hour final table and he virtually does not speak. You know, he's zoned in. He's zoned in because he, you know, he wants to win a bracelet. I can't, I can't, you know, I can't, I guess I got to give him the benefit of the doubt of that, that he wants to be, but he understands how it works. Would it, would it kill him just to turn to the, to the left and go to this person, you know, two Jews walk into a bar, they buy it. Would it kill him <laughs> just to beat Gabe Kaplan for two minutes out of six hours? He does not speak. So I have never forgiven him for those two things. Oh, wow. Understandable. That that would really annoy me, too. You know, you've got this legendary comedian and someone who knows poker and who know, who should be helping you. Right. Who should be a, a bit of a team player. That would that would bug me also. Yeah. It's just also understanding the big picture, which I got a lot of poker players having over the years. And, you know, lately when we've had poker players who are unbelievably better than the previous generation and they have everything down and the mathematics and the analytics, and the GTO, but there's a bigger picture, which some people have understood, but it's yeah. just more than the cards. So if you're trying to grow the game and you're on a televised table, you, you do want to, you don't want to have the hoodie and the sunglasses and the, and the headphones on. You might want to engage the other people around you who are people, especially uh, if you know how to do it. And, you, and a lot of these guys do know how to do it. So I wish they would do it. And I wish they do it when the TV cameras weren't there anyway, because that's another topic. But poker is a lot more enjoyable when people are sitting around and talking and, and enjoying it with each other. So agree. One other thing I wanted to ask you about your first year on the World Series, the Moneymaker year. Is it true that you thought that it would be bad for poker if Moneymaker won, that you felt that in order for the game to have legitimacy, the established pro Sammy Farha needed to win? Okay, James, you know, I'm not expecting softballs here, but you earlier <laughs> wanted, you, know, you wanted to finish the story that, you know, my my investors got zero back on the 25K. Now you're pounding away on a mistake I made, an honest mistake. It's, it's not like I didn't kidnap the Lindbergh baby, all right? I wasn't one of the masterminds behind 9-11. I, I, when we were coming down the stretch, in fact, when 
Phil Ivy got knocked out 10th just before the final table. And obviously we're going to have seven episodes. So we're going to have plenty of Ivy. I, I, I was horrified. I thought that was bad because he was the most established person left. Yeah. So now, now, you know, now we got nine, you know, now we got nine clowns left, but yes, when it got to heads up, when it was moneymaker versus Farha, I believed with every, you know, inch of my heart that it was bad for poker. If some accountant, 27-year-old hick accountant from Tennessee who almost sold a seat and won a seat for any one of 37 different numbers now we have. $39, $49. You want to $110, $150. Yeah, I, a, I know the exact amount. The, the correct number, by the way. 7-Eleven. The correct number for posterity is $86. $86 as of today, James. But anyway, <laughs> I thought it was bad for poker if some amateur came in and just showed that you could be a nobody and have no no private previous experience and have a rank of hands chart in front of you and beat the, the Humphrey Bogart gambling figure with the, the cigarette dangling out of his mouth. Yeah. yeah, so I wasn't it's like I was rooting against Chris. I just said, Well, I hope Farha wins. <laughs> I'm an idiot. I was an idiot. What do you want from me? Okay, well, to, to 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 that point, do you think that over the last 18 years or so since 2003 that you have changed your opinions on much else besides that? It feels like, to me, you've grown a lot, or changed, we'll call it, because grown uh, isn't necessarily always uh, a positive or a negative thing. It seems like you've changed quite a bit. Do, do you feel like you have? You know, there, there, again, sometimes there's changes that you don't feel or see. Uh, it, it's almost like when you're in the water in the ocean and uh, what's it called? When you move from one part to another part, you don't even notice it. You the, just drift uh, away. Yeah. You realize your towel's way over there now. Yeah. Okay. So there can be an undertow in your life. It just happens so slowly, so incrementally. You don't notice it. And, and 12 years later, you know, you're convicted for manslaughter and <laughs> you were having a bad day, but you didn't know how you got there. So there have been changes. Uh, for sure. The one change I've never made, which I've been stubborn on in terms of my approach to how we do the broadcasting is screw the strategy. Uh, and I, I, you know, I take grief for this with certain segment of the poker community, but I, I, I literally did not even study up more on no limit hold'em because I didn't want to reach the point where I'm thinking, okay, now I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make a point. I'm going to make a point here on why he is betting Jack 10 off suit from under the gun too. Cause I know what this is. I don't give a shit. And uh, I've never given a shit. And I always thought it would change what I'm doing. So, yeah, I've made a point of actually not studying the game. Even when I've gone in the last few years to do bracelet events, uh, streaming them on Poker Go or whoever we stream them on, that's a game that I play, like a stud game or a horse game. I don't do much strategy because I just don't think that's the way to go for, for most of the audience. But, yeah, I've had changes and uh, I just don't know what they are. Well, I've noticed them. I've noticed a little bit. We'll call a little bit less. We'll call it patriotism. And I think that might be um, something that's uh, as a result of poker changing, right? Like we can't just be like rooting for the Americans all the time because it's not really that sort of game anymore. Uh, I well, I would agree with you that that meant I might have been more vocal about the let's say less patriotism as the game got more uh, more worldwide. But I've always felt that outside of poker, one of the things that always bothered me, particularly about NBC's coverage of the Olympics is that it's all America all the time and that there is, you know, the rest of the world out there is winning actually, you know, two thirds yeah. of the medals and whatever. And even though we are mostly still winning the medals here at the world series of poker as Americans, 
there's more of a reason than that than we're the best in the world. We're not the best. We're certainly not the best in the world anymore uh, because of the online ban and everyone else catching up to us and this and that. But yeah, I think we got to acknowledge the rest of the world. So I've made a big deal about that. I've thought the World Series of Poker, uh, the, the Poker Hall of Fame is too U.S. centric. Uh, I think things in general are too U.S. centric coverage. And as I said, anyway, the rest of the world, which didn't play poker 20 years ago, has caught up anyway. Yeah, obviously, poker has changed so much in the time that you've been working in the industry. Um, I'm interested to know what you think has been the biggest change. I think it's fair to say your feelings about reentry tournaments are pretty well documented. Is that your biggest bugbear? Is that the biggest thing that you kind of take issue with? It's the last couple of years. It's it's it, it might have superseded or eclipsed a couple of other things that I think are are constant things in poker that we we need to get better at. I mean, there's a lot of good in poker, uh, but we we kind of ignore the stuff that's not good. And the reentry thing is. Re I just got in an argument the other day with you know one of my top guys at at, at Poker Go, Don Dan Gotti, who's who's my producer, who I get along great. I've had a million meals with him, and we had an argument about reentry. Where I, I, you know, I literally want to put a dunce cap on his head and put him over in the corner, and he was passionate <laughs> about why I was wrong and what I'm missing. I go, no, and this is almost like America, you know, in a nutshell right now about polarized. There's no in between. Mm -hmm. You're, you're, you're the one who doesn't understand what's going on. No, you're the one who doesn't understand what's going on. And we went back and forth, and I finally gave up. You know, and I had a, I think I had a, uh, they had Twizzlers or Red Vines in the office. I had a Red Vine and walked out mad. But yes, the the reentry, particularly the multiple reentry, uh, besides the all the bad things it does to rec players and and eats up the economy that way, it's just you know from a simple competition standpoint, poker is yeah. the only game that does this, where you, you don't have a level playing field. Everyone doesn't start at the same point and end at the same point. We say, oh oh, you were eliminated. Well, wait a second. Come, come, come back. Come, come. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Wait, uh, if you have enough money, no, you can get back. It. Let's talk. Yeah. Thank you. Do you have $2,500? Okay. We'll seat you. Where do you want to sit? We'll seat you right back in your same seat. Go at it. And then uh, an hour or two later, uh, you're eliminated again. All right. We'll see you. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Come, 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 come. We got a deal. We got a deal for you. It's unbelievable. Anyway, from a competition standpoint, it completely taints the whole and corrupts the whole thing. And that's before we get to, you know, I just said the other day, I played the 25K horse, okay? And this is an extreme example, but, you know, the late Reds, was, which works in with the reentry. So a couple hours before the end of the day, Kerry Katz, who essentially is my boss because he has a lot of money. Woo, I'm impressed. Okay, Kerry Katz walks in, you know, lays down his 25K, blows through it in like 90 minutes, and he's done, Okay. The next morning, because you can register at the beginning of day two, Kerry Cax walks in again and goes, oh, look, I found 25K in the couch cushions. He <laughs> buys in again, okay, and he he cashes. Okay, but besides the fact that the, the late Reg, that day, you know, one day just wears you out. So that competition thing that somebody can walk in when you're, you know, I know there's a disadvantage. I only got 12 big bets or whatever. They didn't have to play 12 hours the first day, which just wears me out. He can walk in because he's got the money. And then he cashes. Another example is Ben Yu, one of the best players in the world. Uh, and I've had to play with him in the World Series a lot. And I, you know, he's so much better than me. When I play, I don't want to play hands with him. I often play, when I'm playing hands with him, I swear my every my cards are cards up. He's, you know, if I, if I bluff, he calls without even blinking. If I've got the nuts, he folds without even blinking. So I got the best of him that day one. 
I beat him in two hands, which I'll never do again in the way I beat him in these hands. I actually bluffed him in one hand and then didn't let him bully me in another hand. And it was one of my best days against Ben Yu. I crippled him. He went to another table. He busted. The next day, he walks in. He also buys in again, and he finishes fifth or sixth. My point is here. Me against Ben Yu or you against Ben Yu, our chances are not good. If he's got two tickets and I got one ticket, are you kidding me? I mean, anybody like that, Ben Yu, Daniel Negrano, when they have two, three, four tickets and the rest of us have one ticket, what type of competition is that? So that's why I re-entry alone, I just say to hell with it, even though it's not going away. I really admire your um, ability to speak out against things that your bosses are in favor of and that people you work for. I think that's cool. Um, You don't really seem to give a shit about that kind of stuff. You're like, nope, this is how I feel about a particular subject. And I do admire your ability to just to just say what you think and not keep your mouth shut. Me, on the other hand, you know, it's the only thing that's more annoying. Right. Than like two people polarized on a particular subject is in this one. I'm the most annoying person in the middle being like, well, I do understand your point, Norman, but I also understand that people like really big prize pools. And the only way that we're going to get them is to have reentry. Like I, I'm more hated in this situation than the guy on the other side of the argument. I assume. Yeah. When you're in the, when you're, when you're sitting on the fence. Okay. Yeah. Terrible. The worst. Pick a side. It's unacceptable. (laughs) Pick a side. And by the way, I've always, uh, and, and, and Joe, you're smarter about this. And uh, other people I know are smarter about this. I've done this my whole life and it, it is not, it is not really good for your, your career. No, uh, you know, no. I, I, I always tell people from the time I was 25, cause I was doing this, I got lucky and was working in a big newspaper early. And I, again, had the same problem. And I told him anytime I cross a bridge, I look back cause I know I'm not going back over that bridge. Apparently I <laughs> torch every bridge in my life and I'm not even trying to torch them. Professionally, I'm just you just talk about, you know, it does, it does not benefit me to poker. Go loves it. You know, most of the poker community loves it. I make fun of carry cats. That can't be good for me. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, it's just not good to talk out. And then as you get older, it's the old thing. You know, obviously, I'm not old enough to do this. But, you know, when you get really old, you don't care what anybody, you know, you just say whatever you want. And now you're just going to go you know, have your Metamucil, have your cup of tea. And what, they, what can they do to you? Like people They can't take you, Wheel of Fortune away from you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I always will have, and I just I DVR that. I don't watch it live. I'm not an idiot. I DVR it, watch it once a week uh, in, in a binge. Um, Norman, I don't know when Joe pitched this interview to you. He explained that not only would you have to answer questions about your life and career, but you would also be forced to play a game show that Joe has designed specifically for you. I he did not he okay. Joe is is intrinsically one of the most dishonest people I've ever met. <laughs> he would never explain this to me beforehand. I don't know what this is, and I'm not I'm not fond of it already. Remember, I'm very it's very early in the day for me. My dog has not rescued me. What is this? What is this? Was it some version of 20 questions? Is it it's a game show thing? What is it? Basically, I come up with a bespoke game for every person who comes on the show. Joe's stupid game. Although the people that we have that are like super reverent, like um, Aaron Sorkin, we don't make them do this. But Norman Chad, you're going to have to do it. Uh, this week's game is called Hey Chatta 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 Chatta. Uh, and this is a uh, trivia game about uh, chatters from another matter, a.k.a. Uh, other people named Chad, other things named Chad. It's just Chad trivia. You ready? No, it's multiple choice. No, I have no choice. Let's go ahead. Correct. You have no choice. <laughs> Question number one. What kind of Chad was it that destroyed the 2000, the year 2000 U.S. presidential elections? Was it 
a lounging Chad, a relaxing Chad, a hanging Chad, or a Chad loader? Can I go with E? It was Seymour Chad, my father, who was working in Palm Beach County as one of the election supervisors. <laughs> is so that, that true? That is true. And he, he he gave it up after that since, you know, at the age of what, what this was 2000. So he just moved there. So he would have been 74 years old. And he didn't feel like walking around Century Village retirement home with everybody saying, hey, hey, hanging Chad. You know, he, he just he couldn't deal it with killed it. Him. He, it, he, it killed uh, his career. It killed his election career. Uh, COVID killed him last year. I'm sorry to hear now, that. But that's where we got to. Great. Wonderful. That's the that's the worst ending to one of my stupid games ever. Should we just call wow. it after that? I, I, wow. Can, it, can we go any worse than that? I should have ended with that question. Anyway, question two. You're on the board. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it. COVID killed my dad. Is I mean, the correct as far as I'm concerned, you've, you've, you've won the game after that answer. <laughs> Whatever happens next is immaterial. Correct. Uh, question two. We have to finish, though. Question two. Uh, According to the recent internet, a Chad is the natural born enemy of what? Is it the incel, the dank meme, Pepe the Frog, or Sonic the Hedgehog? You're, you're one sick fuck. This is ridiculous that I'm answering this question. Uh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm losing Pepe the Frog. I'm losing your, your last answer. I'm going to the first two and I don't have a lifeline or whatever the phone call you can make on that, the millionaire show that I used to watch with Regis, who's the you know, most professional guy of all time. Uh, I'm going to go with A. The incel is correct. The Chad uh, is the natural born enemy of the incel. We're two for two. It's It would be fitting if Norman's the only person that ever crushes one of my games since I am always following in Norman's footsteps. Question number three. Which of the following does not border the country of Chad? Is it Libya, Sudan, any body of salt water, or South Sudan? Wow. You know, I always talk about how us in America, in our educational process, we are horrendous at world geography. And we're we're horrendous at U.S. geography, by the way. We don't know what it is. The rest of the world, but we don't even know where anything is here. Nope. So this one I should know since I've had to deal with a lot of jokes over the year about, you know, I came from Chad or was I president of Chad or did I create the Republic of Chad? Uh, that was a big deal back, uh, especially when I was 10 or 12 years old. And Chad was a hip place then. Uh, Chad <laughs> is not as hip now. So <laughs> Sudan, South Sudan, uh, the body of water thing, and the Libya. Uh, boy, I don't know this one either. I'm going to go with. Uh, I'm going to go with Libya. Chad is a landlocked country. It does not border any bodies of salt water. You're two and one. You're two and one. Still have a chance to win That's this game. Skill. Seven total questions. So disappointing, though. So disappointing. Go ahead. How many questions Question. total are there? Seven total. Seven total. We're yeah. almost. We're almost. This is the. Do you mind me, by the way, Joe? I don't know if you watched Gutfeld, uh, which is a, a late night. I, I do not watch Gutfeld. I tape. Sure. I do DVR it every night to watch the monologue. He has a thing now called. Greg's seven jokes. How many of Greg's seven jokes do you believe are jokes? Just I was going to say, are there any actual jokes in the seven jokes? It is yeah. one out of seven tops. It, that like, thing. That way, was almost a joke. Huh? That was almost a joke. It's the highest rated thing on late night right now. 
and it, it, it is it you just close your eyes five minutes into the show and go we are in deep deep trouble <laughs> let's go with number three number four here question number four which of the following chad words plus one letter okay so it's chad plus a letter is slang for a scrotum or a perineum is it chard i'm so sorry James, how can you sit here and watch this? He can ask me about other chads and stuff, but instead, now we're down to the scrotum business, and this is, this you is, you're you you, guilty by association. You know, like when people just watch a lot of violent movies and they just become completely immune to the effects of it? The first time Joe played one of these games, I was like, this is outrageous. This is embarrassing. I can't believe that we're putting the poor guest through this. This is episode 226 of this podcast. <laughs> so by now, I'm just kind of like, this is just standard fare. We've had a lot worse. Okay. By the way, you just remind me of something else. As much as I've watched you all when you're doing, you know, poker, European poker tour stuff or poker star stuff, I never watched Poker Beyond the Years. But this, you got to 226. I'm yeah. trying to think of the people you got to before me. Eskimo Clark, probably after he passed. Uh, <laughs> just incredible that I'm 226. Now, okay, A was charred with the R before the Okay, here we go. Which of the following is slang for scrotum, basically? Is it charred, chode, scad, or taint? Oh, it's, it's chode, man. Everyone knows chode is scrotum. It is a chode. Norman Chad is back in the win column. And to make you feel better, Norm, you are on the show before long. I did realize as I'm kind of like doing the big intro, oh, we probably, in the interest of political balance, need to get Lon McCarran on this show at some point. But you'll always have You Got Here First. Thank you. That's actually a big deal with Lon, so I appreciate that. Yeah. That bothers me. Question number five. Speaking of bushes, uh, sorry, this question was supposed to come after question number one. Uh, which Chad was married to actress Sophia Bush? Is it Chad Mendes, Chad Wick Bozeman, Chad Michael Murray, or Felicia Rush Chad? Your last one seems to be made up. I wish I knew any of the chads you just mentioned, which is embarrassing, apparently, if I'm, I'm showing my age or that I, I just, you know, Chad Mendes, Chad who, and who are the first three again? Chad Mendes, Chad Wick Bozeman, Chad Michael Murray, or Felicia Rish Chad? Well, what's Felicia Rish Chad? You're melding together... Felicia Rashad with, with Chad and Jeremy. <laughs> this is so that can't even. It, it was who, who are women marrying women? So I'm gonna go with the second one. That, I, I just love the way you pronounce the second guy's name, Chad Wicker Shackham. Chad Wick Bozeman was the the fellow who played Black Panther. Was not married to actress Sophia Bush. We we're looking for Chad Michael Murray there. Two questions left. You need to get one more correct to win the game for no money. You ready? We've already established that you've won the game, by the way. This is purely immaterial. This is just for shits and giggles. Right, because we got got the horrible, great answer from question one. Question six. Chad Allen was the founding member of which band? Was it The Who, The Guess Who, The Hootie and the Blowfish, or The Who Let the Dogs Out Who, 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 Who? That's not even a band. That's the name of the song by the Baja Men. Question four. Answer four is never, is always made, is just like four, ridiculous. Four. I, I, it's I, a throwaway. I, I finally discovered that, or it finally struck me with your Felicia one. There had been a couple of other bullshit fours. Uh, what, you, what, you, what you don't know is Chad Allen 
was the founder of the KC and the Sunshine Band, and it was called Chad and the Sunshine Band, and they couldn't get bookings, so Chad changed his name to KC, and then before you know it, you know, shake your booty, and they were a big hit. But as far as this goes, uh, I, and I know nothing about uh, rock and roll music, but uh, this is obviously the Guess Who. The Guess Who is correct, yes! I've won! He has won the game. <laughs> do, you, do you want the last question? Yes, at this point. Okay. What is St. Chad famous for? Is it for converting a bunch of Brits to Catholicism, for having an insane number of ex-wives, for being impaled on seven studs, or for coining a Latin phrase that loosely translates to squadouche? This one seems to be easy. This one, I, I think you're screwing with me because this one seems to be the easiest one. This one seems to be a, a, a tap and putt, and I can just pick it up and not tap it in. It's got to be A. It's got to be A. The other one, you're dealing with studs and squad douche and ex-wives. Back then, you, there were no ex-wives. You just beheaded them, you just beheaded them and then you, it wasn't even a divorce. You certainly weren't going to become a, a Catholic saint for having ex-wives. You are correct. Converting wow. a bunch of Brits to Catholicism is what St. Chad is famous for. All we uh, needed was an answer there that referenced the prettiest card in the deck, and we would have had a full house in Norman Chad Bingo. <laughs> uh, Norman Chad, you are famous for some very um, noble and... And reasons that I'm incredibly thankful for. I don't know if you've ever heard me say this before, but when, um, when, um, uh, what's his name? Tony Soprano, James Gandolfini, when he died, um, the guy that played Walter White, I'm fumbling over my words now because I actually am genuinely having a moment. This is a great story, Joe. Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston tweeted that uh, without Tony Soprano, there would be no Walter White. And without Norman Chad, there would be no Joe Stapleton. And I just think you're the absolute greatest. And I'm very happy that you agreed to come on the show. And I'm very happy to know you. And thank you for your support over the years. I appreciate so, you. To be clear, we are blaming Norman Chad for Joe Stapleton. Yes. <laughs> thank you. You took the words out of my mouth. Uh, I, I know Joe is sincere with that. I do. I do feel bad because Joe... Uh, by the way, Joe, you know, I started with the World Series of Poker when, what was it, 1903? I was, still, I was 42 years old. So I'm a late starter. So I know everyone else has been back. There's a gridlock behind me. And as far as you're concerned, you know, I, 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 when I, when I drive, I, I have somebody else start my car for me. Uh, I, I look out the rearview mirror at all times, looking for you. Uh, <laughs> I'm in a restaurant like a mobster. I sit with my. I do not sit with my back to the window. I sit with my back to a wall. Uh, you know, I don't trust you as far as I can throw you. And I do apologize. Uh, for the fact that I've caused, uh, even though you've taken every other poker commentary job in the world, and some of them have been unfortunate for you because you've had to do things with like people, <laughs> you know, people eating crickets, uh, you know, eating it, crickets uh, inside a glass cube was uh, another one of my many great decisions. Okay, so you know, you've had to. I remember uh, Dennis Miller once said, "At some point, you get tired as a comedian of you know just you know coming out and and like you know juggling or." or or having being an organ grinder, you've had to push a lot of stuff up the hill, you know, it, it, which is unfortunate. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. By the way, that's why I go back to Regis Philbin, who I had a lot of respect for. He talked about that something he had like 37 jobs in entertainment before he found uh, Regis and Kathy Lee. And he said that was at age 54. He says sometimes it takes you a long time to feel you feel the thing that fits right and that fit completely right for him. So sometimes yeah. it takes a long time. These other things, you know. Don't all fit right for us, but that cricket thing or whatever you're doing with Antonio and Phil, uh, you know, with that that concept. But yeah, I feel bad, but I also, you know, I do I do 
step lightly because I do know Joe's around me and he has a contract out on me. Uh, James does not have a contract out on anybody else because again, he's he doesn't he he wasn't brought up in America. He's not as <laughs> he's not as unkind and ungentle as we are. But thank you for your kind words. Norman, Thanks this for- has been an absolute pleasure and someone's trying to get you on the phone. So we are going to let you go. Thank you so much for giving up your time. It's been a joy talking to you today. Uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I felt fortunate uh, in 03 that the piano again landed on the side of me. However, it brings me to this moment where, again, I'm up at uh, four o'clock in the morning talking to you. <laughs> so it hasn't been as good of a ride as possible. But thank you very much for having me on. Go back to bed, you grump. OK, I'll see you all later. So a couple of weeks back, we went behind the scenes on our live stream, specifically our live coverage of online poker series like Scoop and W Coop. And we did say that in future weeks, we talk about what goes on behind the scenes at live events. And obviously, it's been a while. I think Prague 2019 was the last event we streamed. It's coming up on two years now. But Joe, you and I were talking recently about a specific poker player who I'm not going to name. And we remembered an incident from EPT Barcelona 2013. And then I started remembering other stuff that happened at that event. And I just realized that I don't know why, but not only was this a really tough event, like really grueling work-wise, but lots of stuff went on behind the scenes that people won't be party to. If you watch the TV shows, if you watched our live streams, you won't know any of this happened. And just to set the scene, this was the launch of EPT Season 10. Late August, early September, 2013 this was the event where the infamous EPT rap video was shot edited and revealed it was played to a packed poker room at Casino Barcelona and do you remember Jason Mercier fucking loved it Jason Mercier I remember was like up on one knee on his chair and like it was it was like out of a movie it ended and there's like one person clapping like and people were enjoying it like Jason like try to get like a standing ovation going I think it really spoke to him as like a white boy from the Florida suburbs who probably grew up really loving rap like seeing his his name and face in a rap song I think it really touched him and because we wanted to do some special stuff for the start of the 10th season of the European Poker Tour we had Alexander Stevich come back to Barcelona back to where it all started the first ever EPT champion and I think I'm right in saying that he had a deep run in the Barcelona main event that year. Ish. He certainly featured in a lot of the TV shows. I mean, bear in mind, this is the point where the field was starting to get really big in the Barcelona main event. Yeah. He certainly made the money. And just by making the money, that was considered to be a deep run. Now, we've already told you at least one story from behind the scenes at this event. And it was the tale of Sandy the degenerate <laughs> fuck destroying Joe's hotel room and breaking his toothbrush. So we're not going to go over old ground and tell that story. Um, I want to begin at the beginning because this was the year, Joe, when we started doing the comedy sketches. At yeah. the, which And the idea was that it, it was twofold. It was to introduce a bit of humor and personality into the TV shows. Uh, also, it was to showcase the actual location because most yeah. of the TV show is just inside a poker room. That um, was the best part for me was just being able to like get around the city and show people that like, hey, we are in different places. We are uh, seeing the world in many respects. So we'd done a shoot in the Bahamas. We'd done a shoot in Monte Carlo. And one thing we'd realized by the time we get to Barcelona is there's a lot going on when we're on location. We're doing the live streams. And yes, we had other commentators working with us, but Joe and I are doing at least 60, if not 70% of the hours. Plus, we have to do 
record stuff for the TV shows, the actual kind of links that, that start each episode. Uh, plus, at some point, we have to eat and sleep. So the schedule is already pretty packed. And trying to film these comedy skits in and around the stuff we were already doing just wasn't working. So we actually came to Barcelona a few days early. They decided to build in the skits shoot at the start before the event started, before we before we were streaming anything, before the main event got underway. And I'm so glad James, by the way, remembers how all this went down, because as he's saying it, I'm like, yes, that is how it happened. But if you had asked me, I would have no idea. But do you remember, Joe, about how badly planned and thought out this skit shoot was and how we wasted an entire day, pretty much the only time we had allotted to film, I don't know, say there were 10 TV shows, right? And the idea of the skits is that when you come back from commercial breaks, there are three sketches per TV show. There's 10 episodes. That's 30 little interstitials we have to shoot. And we had to get them done in a day. And I think we got like one batch done. We got three done. We were shooting at the Sagrada Familia. And then we had to do this ridiculous shoot where you were a bullfighter. And and I I remember there was something about bootleg bullfight tickets that I was selling on the street. And I remember the setup for that skit was hours for some reason like it took a really long time to get that one set up i the first thing to say is i don't think these were the strongest skits that we've ever come up with and you know i share responsibility for that i know you're the comedian here and you know you're going to take a lot of credit for writing the funny stuff but we both worked on these and they weren't i don't think that strong but the fact they took so long to film and the fact that we didn't get enough done during that first day, not aided by the fact that Bruce Baggles is waiting for that cloud to move <laughs> to the exact kind of degree point where it's not blocking that exact point of the sun he wants to shine on Joe's face. Um, it, it meant that we were already behind before anything not had Not crazy strong, I would say, but also we hadn't, at least for me, right? I hadn't quite figured out the groove of what how to write these sketches and how to even write them so that they're easily shot also right like it took us yeah it's just you know it wasn't what we were used to doing any of us to be perfectly honest so because we effectively ran out of time what we found ourselves doing is what we didn't want to do which is every time there was a spare five minutes every time joe and i are on break from the live stream it's like let's get outside let's shoot something so they were all filmed within like a two minute radius of the casino it's the cafe outside the casino it's the stretch of beach right outside the casino it's the fountain right outside the casino that one had to be rewritten for the fact that this isn't the real fountain we've gone to the wrong one by mistake because it was born out of circumstance that we couldn't get to the real fountain because it was too far away and we didn't have time and there's one where i think you can see like members of the crew and some of the kit like in the background and there was no time to reshoot it so that was the one where we're throwing the football on the beach right and there's just like a camera bag and a, and a mic stand <laughs> yeah in the frame like some real film school bullshit and i think it's the kind of worst of both worlds because i just remember it being really really stressful and not particularly rewarding because the content we were actually producing just wasn't that good Fast forward a year and we did the sketches in the Spanish village, Barcelona Zoo, and I really enjoyed that. That was a really fun shoot. And I think some of those sketches are genuinely funny. But this year, not so much. Um, I remember it was the year of the Ilves track, What Does the Fox Say?, which was playing pretty much on endless loop in our production office. I don't know why. Um, But this was also the event where Death by Quads was born. And there is a 
interesting, I'm not going to say fun, but interesting story around this. So it's one of those hands which has appeared in many compilation videos. I'm sure if you didn't see it on the stream or on the TV show, you've probably seen it in a highlights reel, probably seen it in a compilation VT. It was Philip Sternheimer versus Vitaly Lunkin in the super high roller. And Philip Sternheimer gets it in with kings against Vitaly Lunkin's queens. And the board comes queen, queen, X. He's pretty much done on the flop and he's dead by the turn. And Joe, interestingly, was not in the booth at the time. It was me and Eugene Kachelov on the live stream. We recreated the moment for the TV show, but that's where the expression death by quads, which later became the hashtag and the meme death by quads was born. And it was just one of those car crash hands. One of those moments, which is so extraordinary that in the moment, as a commentator, you can't help but be excited and make a big deal out of, right? Yeah. Well, the realness of it, right? The whole, just the or, or, or organicness? Organic, organiza- organization? I don't think that's right. Uh, but how organic and real and natural it was, it's hard to get away from whatever your natural reaction is going to be. So what happened next is that there were various PokerStars execs, none of whom still work for the company, by the way, who went to dinner. I've outlasted them all with some high rollers. So the players you'd normally see in like the 50K, 100K events. And the idea, and it was, you know, obviously good spirited, is to kind of like, you know, talk to your customers, get to know your players. But at this dinner, Joe and I weren't there, obviously, it was brought up that there was an issue with the live stream commentators. There was an issue with those guys you get doing your TV shows that they poke fun, they mock... They celebrate the misfortunes of recreational players, and that's bad for poker. And there was one individual, again, who I'm not going to name, who specifically Sandy. brought up this hand, the death by quads, as an example of where Philip Sternheimer, as an amateur player, is going to feel bad about that situation. And the insinuation was that the commentators were somehow dancing on his grave and making a big deal out of it and kind of creating a comedy moment out of something like this. And... Let's, be, let's be let's be honest. Honestly, let's be honest with what they were really saying. What they were really saying is that we were tapping the glass. That's that's honestly what they were accusing us of. And I'm not saying that Phil Sternheimer is a fish, but I'm saying that the perception was that we are scaring away rich amateurs. It's all about the EV. So the consequence of this dinner was that word reached us that players had an issue with stuff we've been saying and i'll be honest with you i know joe you often get very defensive when there's any kind of feedback on what gets said on the live stream or someone takes issue with something you've said i actually get really worried about it because i know in the number of years i've done this job there are times when i've said stuff that i wish i could take back when you are broadcasting live for hour after hour after hour, sometimes you go down roads you wish you hadn't gone down. Sometimes you take a joke too far. Sometimes that dead horse just gets beaten until it's basically pulp. And I know where I've gone wrong in the past. And there have been occasions where I've apologized to players where I don't feel that the commentary was befitting of the moment or, or of, 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 of what the stream should be. This was not one of those occasions, and it, it concerned me. And I remember talking to Eugene Kachelov, saying, Eugene, do you feel that I was over the top? Do you feel we did something wrong? And I tracked down Philip Sternheimer. This is before you became friends with him, Joe. I tracked him down at the party and was like, Phil, did 
did you feel, I don't know whether you've seen the, the, the moment from the live stream, but did you feel that we were in any way celebrating your demise? Did you in any way feel that we were dancing on your grave? He's like, no, it's just one of those things that happens in poker, right? It's like a bad beat in exceptional fashion. You guys do what you've got to do. This is one of those hands that's going to go viral on social media. He gets it. And that made me feel so much better. And I know I shouldn't, I shouldn't have worried about it, but it did concern me that not only were there poker players who I respect and admire saying stuff about us, but the fact that it got back to the management something we'd said was inappropriate so you know what's funny is that i you just said that you know i know i shouldn't worry about it see me i typically have a more indignant reaction and a more defensive reaction to things but i genuinely do care if the if i've upset a player um even if i don't think it should have it bothers me it stays with me i would have done the same thing i have done the same thing to various people and uh, luckily Phil understood it. And it's just weird how sometimes little things can get in your head and can get you to have a reaction um, whether or not it, it, it's justified. It's weird what things, what criticisms actually take hold and which ones don't. And I will um, now at, at, at my current age and maturity level, I don't think I'm as nearly as indignant as I used to be or take nearly as many risks with the things I say specifically for that reason. I've definitely become a lot more empathetic to uh, people's reactions, the people I'm speaking about, and also to the reactions of my superiors and my bosses. And I kind of understand a little bit more now when people are like, ah, you can't really say that, or we want to stay away from this particular thing. I get all of that now. I do, I think back on it, and how brazen I was and what a what a shit heel I could be sometimes over um, being defensive or the stuff I say. And it's like I'm a different person. It's really bizarre um, how little credibility and how little tenure I had to be behaving that way. <laughs> and now that I have more of that, I'm even more scared of losing it and upsetting people. It's kind of strange. Uh, what what age and experience does to you. The final thing I wanted to mention is there was another dinner, and this is a dinner that Joe and I <laughs> got invited to. So bear in mind, this is before this I This is the dinner where we got told about the previous dinner where people were talking shit about us. So both of us are freelance at this point. I don't work full-time for stars. We are the talent. So senior boss takes us out. Again, someone who no longer works for PokerStars and who will remain nameless. But at this point, we get the pitch on Shark Cage. So we hear that PokerStars is going to do a new TV pitch is, show. Pitch is being generous. Well, this is the problem, right? <laughs> you would have thought, and this is a completely unfair representation, you would have thought from the what we were told that they had literally partridged it, that they had started with a title and worked backwards from there and hadn't really got very far. And Joe and I are like, this sounds like the worst thing ever. This sounds terrible. How has no thought gone into this? What's the format? What are you thinking? Now, of course, there is a format. There are ideas. It's all being fleshed out. But somehow, the person who's meant to be telling us about this doesn't really have a strong grasp of the detail themselves. We think that we're about to walk into something that's going to be horrific. Fortunately, it didn't turn out that way. The funniest part is... At this dinner, the host can't remember their PIN number. Joe then provides cash to pay for the dinner. On the proviso, he's going to get paid back. 
How long did you have to wait to get your money back? It was over a year. Now, (laughs) part of that was my fault. I didn't like, and again, because of my relative inexperience and my relative meekness at the time, which was weird because I was like overconfident in ways that I should, should not have been and meek in ways that I should not have been. I did not know how to ask this executive at Poker Stars for like the 200 euros that dinner cost. And I let it lapse for so long that then it became weird to ask for it. I was like, it's been a year now. Do I really be like, oh, hey, excuse me. Um, do you remember like 18 months ago we had dinner in Barcelona? And uh, eventually, I, don't, I can't remember if it was you or Francine James. Someone was like, brought it up in front of him for me. and was like, hey, remember when Stapes paid for that dinner in Barcelona? And he, he was, yes, absolutely. No problem. Let me give you that money. I think he paid me that day. But it was super awkward for me. Um, and I and now I wouldn't be. I'd be like, yo, do I have to fill out an invoice? Like, what do I have to do? Is there a purchase order? But I want that fucking money back. Um, it was an utterly exhausting event. I mean, it was only like we were only there for like 10 to 12 days. But I just have a clear recollection of producer Ben, like buying a champagne at the end by way of apology for just what an absolute shit show. Most was of that, that the year was. that we got to stay at the nice hotel or is it the following year? It was, we did get to stay at yeah. the hotel arts, which may still be the best hotel I've ever stayed at anywhere and in the world. If I could just one thing that happened that year that wasn't on your list of things is that I, I won't name names either, but that was the year I finally hooked up with someone on tour that I had had a huge crush on for many years. It was like a nice payoff of a lot of work and attention that I put in. It didn't last long. It did not last long, but it finally happened. I think that may be the person responsible for what does the fox say being on infinite loop in the production office. correct. Anyway, we need to move on because we need to provide a ruling. Bizarrely, this is only the second time we've done this, Joe. It is. Uh, I've. I used to do something called Judge Jody on an old podcast. So I got. I got previous for this. Okay. I love making rulings. Bring us your poker-related problems, and we will find a solution and provide a resolution. Uh, Mr. Hardigan, please, yes. a reminder of the terms and conditions. This is our show, and these are our rulings, and that's that. These rulings are 100% legally binding, should you choose to accept that they are. The judges are fickle and temperamental, and the show assumes no liability for rulings you don't agree with. Case number 8367-91, Deeply Trippy, sent in by JoJo112 on Discord. So, a friend of mine keeps saying he has a set, when in fact he has trips, e.g. Ace-X on an Ace-Ace-X board. Could you please clarify what a set actually means? Because I've told him many times, and he doesn't believe me. I'll start off here. Now, traditionally, a set is when you hold two cards in your hand and you hit the third one on the board. Traditionally, holding a particular card in your hand and hitting two on the board is known as trips. However, my ruling in this particular case is that you can call it whatever you want. It's your game. You can call it whatever you want. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. It still holds up the same at showdown. Joseph, you can't start rewriting poker terminology. This player is wrong. However, I don't believe Joe, and I'm talking to Joe, the listener now, not Joe, my podcast host. I don't believe this guy is to blame. 
Jacuz, the 2006 James Bond movie, Casino Royale, because in the poker game at the Ocean Club, Bond, James Bond, has a set of aces, and the dealer announces this hand as trip aces. Underlined by the fact that the piece of music that David Arnold wrote to accompany the scene is called Trip Aces, and that's how <laughs> it's titled on the official soundtrack album. And this is proof that poker consultants can ruin movies. <laughs> but more importantly, how often does this come up in conversation with your friend? How often is this guy getting dealt three of a kind? Must be nice. Get it quietly, buddy. And get the name right. Judgment for the plaintiff in the amount of zero dollars. Next! Well, we're going to close out this week's podcast with our Superfan versus Stapes contest. And we welcome Leo O'Rourke to the show from Canada. Leo, how are you, sir? I'm doing really well. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. Leo O'Rourke sounds like a character from Peaky Blinders. Like, <laughs> nothing gets done in this town without the say-so of Leo O'Rourke. Yeah, yeah. Well, I actually was born in Dublin and uh, moved to Canada with my family uh, in 1965. Wow. Cool. And now living in the city of Vancouver. So we appreciate it's early in the morning for you two. Thank you for volunteering to come on the show. Um, what do you do on the west coast of Canada, Leo? Yeah, so I, I moved out to the west coast uh, uh, in January 2018. I was uh, oh. previously in the prairies. And uh, I'm a healthcare manager uh, for the health authority out here for a couple of health clinics. And uh, I retired in 2015 and went back into the workforce. So uh, here I am, live here on the Fraser River with my uh, beautiful wife. Do you did you have to go back into the workforce and or uh, because of healthcare becoming such a, a thing over the last couple of years? Uh, no, uh, the incentive was uh, more money uh, when I retire, retire. So. Cool. That's, uh, I mean, look, you've got a retirement and now another paycheck. So that sounds pretty good to me. I'm a Perfect, guy that's yeah, never, exactly. I've never turned down a job in my life. So <laughs> I can, I can relate. What is the poker scene like in Vancouver, Leo? Is it mainly online for you? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, strictly online for me, especially over the last, uh, year and a half. Of course. Of course, and, of course. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, mainly online. I've been online with, uh, poker stars since 20, I think it's 2010 or so, and uh, but uh, I do most of my stuff online. I played live, I think, a few times in Vegas. That was it. What do you usually play? Uh, tournaments, it goes? What's your usual buy-in? Uh, tournaments, buy-ins, uh, low stakes, uh, anywhere from uh, 2 to $11. So okay. Well, we're... Yeah are going to give you the chance to play the Sunday Million, which, as you know, has a $109 buy-in. That ticket is up for grabs in a quiz themed around the Apple TV show, Ted Lasso. Now, disclaimer, and I'm going to take the blame for this one, Leo, and I apologize. When we <sighs> talked about this as a specialist subject, we said season one. I clearly did not communicate that clearly to Patrick, who has actually compiled a quiz about seasons one and two. So my oh. question to you is, have you seen season two? I've seen some of it, yeah. Okay. I don't think there are any spoilers here, but there might be a few questions that nobody knows the answer to. But hey, that's why we have multiple choice <laughs> options, right? I haven't Let's seen go for it. I haven't seen season two at all, Leo. So you have a slight advantage, especially given that I've never accidentally gotten one right. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, let's do it. A combination of probably not remembering season one and having seen season two. 
I'm not saying the Sunday Million ticket is yours, Leo, but that's pretty much what I am saying. Uh, you know the format. You know the deal. They are in chronological order, by the way, the questions. So one through five, season one, six through ten, season two, generally going in episodic order. So please give me a number between one and ten. I'll go with number one, please. Number one. Okay. What does Ted drink at his first press conference in England? Oh, <laughs> he drinks bubbly water. Sparkling water for two points. And Joe, you're up. I'll take question two, please. What is the name of the journalist from The Independent? Multiple choice options are available. I'll take the options. Is it Lloyd Griffith, Arlo White, Trent Krim, or Rupert Mannion? Rupert Mannion. No, that was the owner of the club. Trent Krim is the journalist from The Independent. <laughs> are we going to stay going in chronological order by any chance, Leo? Uh, yeah, I'll stay with it. Okay, let's go with number three then. Who does Ted take as his date to the charity gala? Oh, he takes uh, Nate the Great. He does take Nathan. That's another two points for Leo. Cool. Joe? Yeah, yeah, three, please. Uh, that was question three. Four, sorry. Question four. <laughs> what number does Roy Kent wear for Richmond? I'll take the choices. Six, nine, one, or ten? Nine. It was six. Oh, please don't put up an egg, Joe. Don't embarrass yourself. Not on today of all days. Uh, excuse me, James. It's nil. Oh, yes. <laughs> when you're talking about soccer. I love it. Uh, question five, Leo? Question five it is, James. Okay, so this is going to be the last question related to season one. Uh, who do Richmond play in their final game of the season? Their final game of the season? Well, oh, well, uh, yeah, Tart was on there. That was Man City. It was Manchester City for two points. Six nil the score. I don't think you have to worry about not having seen season two. Joe, you can have six, seven, eight, nine, or ten. I don't think it makes any difference. So those were the ones that I had a shot of getting Correct. right. <laughs> let's let's just keep going in order. Okay. Who kills a dog with a penalty in the very first episode of season two? I'll take the choices. Is it Roy Kent, Danny Royas, Jamie Tart, or Sam Abasanya? Roy Kent. No, it was Danny. Well, at least you're consistent. Seven, Leo? Go for it. What is the name of Rebecca's goddaughter? Oh, I'll take the choices. Is it Nora, Flo, Phoebe, or Keely? Nora. It's Nora for one point. And oh, just one point. What an embarrassment. What an embarrassment, I'm ashamed. <laughs> Unbelievable. Seven points after taking question seven. Joe, eight, nine, or ten? Let's, you know what? I'm going to take question nine. Okay, good for you. What's the name of the club slash bar that Coach Beard takes the football supporters to? I'll need the choices, please. Is it the Crown and Anchor, Bones and Honey, the Prince's Head, or Latucci? The Prince's Head. No, it was Bones and Honey. Uh, eight or ten, Leo? Uh, I'll go with eight. Where do Rebecca and Keeley go to smoke? Uh, they go to smoke... Uh... Indoors, thank you for your question. <laughs> yeah, In the first episode, they always went to the boot room, so I it think that's where It is the boot room going. for two points. 
And finally, Joe, come on. Let's put one point up. Don't don't make this a a, a, a drubbing. It's already a drubbing. Uh, what song does Rebecca sing during her father's funeral? I'll take the choices, please. You'll never walk alone. Never gonna give you up. She's a rainbow. Somewhere only we know. Somewhere only we know. No, it was Rick Astley's never gonna give you up. So Joe, you are scoreless. It is nil point for Monsieur Stapleton. And it's nine points for Leo O'Rourke. Our superfan has right conquered once again. And that means, Leo, you are going to get a Sunday Million ticket and some Fantastic. Pop Star swag. Nice work, Leo. Thanks, Nice Joe. work. <laughs> Leo, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for giving up your time today. Thank you, guys. Uh, always a pleasure listening to you guys and to keep up the great work. Thank, thank you, you, Leo. Cheers. All right, my babies, we're almost out of time for this week's show. Coming up next week, I got a bunch of comedy shows and whatnot. Coming up, maybe we'll get a good story out of one of those. I got three shows between now and next week's podcast. But more importantly, next week, it's Poker Movie Monday on a Wednesday again with a bit of a revisit of California Split because we managed, thanks to Martin Harris, to get the movie's writer Joey Walsh as next week's guest. That's I'm really excited for that. But our main focus is going to be the movie Money Plane. <laughs> it's a recent movie. I think it came out in 2020. As I said earlier on, it's available on most streaming services, certainly on Amazon Prime for free in the UK. And it looks terrible. Could be worse than Danny's game. The key is don't make us do this alone. Watch the film. Even if you're not going to apply to be the super fan, you'll get so much more out of the show if you can join us in our appreciation of just how awful this movie is. It's only 80 minutes long. And if you do want to be the super fan, if you do want to come on and put that knowledge of the film to good use and potentially win prizes, two times $109 Sunday Million tickets up for grabs, get on the Discord and apply. And of course, Discord is also where you can apply to be a super fan on any other subject. It's where you can send us your questions. It's where you can comment on the show. And if you need a ruling, like JoJo, it's the place to post. All right, my babies. That is, in fact, all the time we have got for this week's show. Until next time, for James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton saying, smell you later. Smell you later.